0: Very good morning. Welcome to this Friday edition of Squawk Box. In the headlines, the mics were off, but the heat was on. President Trump and Democratic challenger Joe Biden go head-to-head in the final US presidential debate, with the two candidates clashing on health care, the economy, and COVID-19.
1: We're learning to live with it. We have no choice. We can't lock ourselves up in a basement like Joe does.
2: He has the <laughs> he has the ability to lock himself up. He says that we're, uh, you know, we're learning to live with it. People are learning to die with it.
0: US shares close higher as a fall in jobless claims signals an improving economy, while House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says progress is being made on a new stimulus bill.
3: France, meanwhile, extending an overnight curfew affecting most of the country as the country records more than 40,000 new daily coronavirus cases for the first time. And L'Oréal sales rebound in the third quarter, beating expectations as the cosmetic giant says demand in China is strong, but warns that uncertainty remains.
0: Feeling the pressure, Huawei ends its streak of double-digit growth in its latest quarterly earnings as U.S. sanctions weigh on the Chinese tech giant.
3: What's up? Did you get up at two o'clock?
0: No, I didn't. Did you get up at two o'clock?
3: <laughs> no, I, I, I watched
0: the uh, highlights.
3: I was I was wait for about mm. a third of it. Right. I enjoyed it. Uh,
0: you know what? This is the debate that should have happened the first time round, mm. and that's the problem, isn't it? That we've come through this process and we've had the last debate here, and finally they were getting onto substantive issues, Absolutely. but we should have had that in the first debate.
3: Yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, I quite enjoyed the first debate. I know everyone's been bemoaning it for substance, but actually you want to see the the, the jib of what they're like and everything. I quite like to see the the robust kind of almost Westminster style debating, I guess, because I've grown up with this parliamentary system where you've seen prime ministers robustly being stalked by the opposition and vice versa in quite a combative environment. I I quite enjoy that as a a political uh, site. It was nice to hear the answers, though, wasn't it? Yes, it Just was, us Let,
0: let's, let's talk about it uh, and play you some clips here. Donald Trump and Joe Biden offering starkly different visions for the future of the US as the candidates clashed over COVID-19, the economy, oil and health in the final presidential debate in Nashville. Our NBC News colleague Alice Barr is live in Nashville with more. So as far as the polls are concerned, Alice, and as far as the read of the temporary of the debate, how did it go for both candidates?
4: Well, Jeff and Steve, I remember speaking with you and your viewers just a few weeks ago after the debate in Cleveland, and everyone was kind of dazed and trying to figure out what had just happened since it was such a breakneck whirlwind back-and-forth affair that you got very little out of, as you just laid out. Tonight, at least, uh, we got to see more of the issues being discussed. We got to see uh, how these two men stack up on some of these critical issues at a time when America is in crisis on a number of fronts. Uh, So the overall read seems to be that President Trump is perhaps most improved. Uh, he, you know, as some of the polls took a downturn after that last debate when he was so consistently uh, interrupting and on the offense. And this time he really did not take that tack to the same degree uh, at all. He really did not interrupt Joe Biden. Joe Biden did not interrupt the president uh, much at all throughout the course of the debate. And certainly they were helped by the fact that this one was structured in such a way that uh, the opposing candidate's microphone was muted during the two-minute initial response that each of the candidates got at the start of these, uh, these six broad topics that they discussed tonight. So that, I think, kind of set the tone that they knew these were the ground rules and they were literally cut off and, you know, stuck to that a lot more tonight. Uh, you mentioned the polls. So we do know that overall Joe Biden is leading in national polls in many of the battlegrounds, but it has been tightening in many those battlegrounds, and this could be the kind of moment uh, that President Trump's team is hoping could shift uh, the way that some of these battleground state voters are looking at this race. Jeff and Steve,
3: uh, Alice, excellent work. Thank you very much indeed. For it. yeah, incredibly different from first time round as we saw in Ohio. Thank you very much indeed for that, Alice Barr, who will join us a little bit later on right so let's go through some of the detail the candidates kicked off the evening discussing the ongoing pandemic of course with the us president saying the country is rounding the corner i caught it i learned a lot i learned a lot great
1: doctors great hospitals and now i recovered 99.9 of young people recover 99% of people recover We have to recover. We can't close up our nation. We have to open our school and we can't close up our nation or you're not going to have a nation.
2: He says that we're, uh, you know, we're learning to live with it. People are learning to die with it. You folks home will have an empty chair at the kitchen table this morning. That man or wife going to bed tonight and reaching over to try to touch their out of habit where their wife or husband was is gone. Learning to live with it. Come on. We're dying with it. The candidates
0: also address the ongoing stimulus talks on Capitol Hill. It comes as House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said a deal is, quote, just about there, but warned Congress could stand in the way of a bill being passed. Uh, Trump accused Pelosi of obstructing a deal.
1: Nancy Pelosi doesn't want to approve it. I do.
4: But you're the president.
1: I do, but I still have to get, unfortunately. That's one of the reasons I think we're going to take over the House, because of her. Nancy Pelosi doesn't want to approve anything because she'd love to have some victories on a date called November 3rd. Nancy Pelosi does not want to approve it. We are ready, willing, and able to do something. Don't forget, we've already approved three plans, and it's gone through, including the Democrats, in all fairness. This one she doesn't want. It's near the election because she thinks it helps her politically. I think it hurts her politically.
2: All right,
5: Mr. Vice
4: President.
2: The Republican leader in in the United States Senate said he can't pass it. He will not be able to pass it. He does not have Republican votes. Why isn't he talking to his Republican friends?
4: Let me follow up with you, Vice President. We made a deal because let me let me ask Vice President Biden a question. You are the leader of the Democratic Party. Why have you not pushed the Democrats to get a deal for the American people?
2: Well, I have, and they have pushed it. Look, they passed this act all the way back in the beginning of the summer. This is like it's not new. It's been out there. This Heroes Act has been sitting there, and look at what's happening. When I was in charge of the Recovery Act with $800 billion, I was able to get $145 billion to local communities that have to balance their budgets, and states that have to balance their budgets, so they didn't have to fire fire firefighters, teachers, first responders, law enforcement officers, so they could keep their cities and counties running. He will not support that. They have not done a thing for them. And Mitch McConnell said, let them go bankrupt. Let them go bankrupt. Come on. Well, Sarah
0: Lenti is a Republican strategist and executive director of the Lincoln Project. Sarah, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Some clear points of differentiation now, I think, between the candidates. How did you think the president did?
5: The president was, to his credit, a bit calmer at the beginning of the debate than he was the last go around. Um, But he, you know, I was been watching news coverage all day or all evening and the, he a lot of what he said was just sound bites. There was no specific policy proposals that you heard coming out of his mouth. There was no um, vision for the next four years. There was no indication of a plan on how kids could safely go back to school, how to get Americans back to work. So he failed at, at coming out and really giving his vision for what the Americans could look for in the next four years of a Trump administration.
3: Sarah, what about the president's attacks on Mr. Biden uh, as a senator with the, the, the Crime Act in, in the 1990s and as a vice president under Mr. Obama as well? Did the president score at all on, on Mr. Biden's record?
5: With his base, he scored, but he did not score with respect to the Obama administration and having a, you know, a Republican Congress. Um, you know, it, it's, 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 it's ironic because the president had, the president spoke at one point about the Affordable Care Act and how horrible it was and yada, yada. He had a Republican majority from 2016 to 2018. He campaigned on that and he did nothing with it. So, you know, call a spade a spade. Um, It was, you know, um, no, I don't think he I don't think he moved voters that were undecided with what he was saying about Biden this evening
0: one of the um, interesting differences that came out, I thought, in this debate was the position around the energy industry and oil in particular. And I got the sense that uh, perhaps that may appeal to different demographics in the United States. But what was interesting is that after the debate, the Biden camp came out and quickly appeared to be stepping back a little bit from the stronger position they've taken on decarbonizing the economy how do you think that will play with the electorate
5: so the as, as you all know the democratic party is um there is a there is a, a very progressive wing and then there's more of a um of a moderate you know Formerly what we knew as a Democratic Party. I think this will not sit well with his um, With the the very very progressives um, on on the Democratic side Uh, But he did have some walking back to do and he had he had said earlier in earlier debates and uh, you know He's campaigned for president other times um, That he was against fracking. So he does have a bit of walking back to do
3: Sarah, as you know better than I do, there are 40% of Americans over on one side have decided and 40% on the other side have decided. What about those variable voters in the key states, in places such as Pennsylvania as well, in places such as Florida as well? Will any of them see their needle of opinion moved on this debate?
5: I would, get, I would suggest so based on the, the Lincoln Project's work and the data that we're seeing and the voters that we're speaking to. We're very focused in target states Pennsylvania, Florida, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Arizona. Ohio, to some extent Iowa now, and what we're seeing is that the older demographic, moderate Republicans and independents who are undecided are beginning to move, and it is the intersection of the COVID and the lack of leadership of COVID and the economy tanking in those states that is moving people. And I think with Joe Biden tonight, they saw he was beginning to spell out what he would do, a national plan the importance of a national plan if he were to be elected president. And there was real empathy there. I think the the clip I heard earlier that you were playing was he was talking about um, Americans, you know, no longer having loved ones at the table, you know, reaching over in bed and having an, an empty an empty space. And the president kind of scoffed at that and made fun of it, saying that it was all political. Actually, over 200,000 people have died in America. And, you know, we had 1,100 deaths yesterday. It's not stopping. And we're just spiking. So I think as Americans are more and more aware and it's hitting home, um, those those voters will start to move. They are already moving. We've seen that, actually.
0: Sarah, who are those voters? Because I know there's been, in connection with that uh, particular issue, there's been a lot of speculation around white conservative women, older uh, demographic, how they will choose to vote this time.
5: So it's often, what we're seeing right now is white suburban women, educated white suburban women are moving. We're also seeing... Male and female, 65 plus in these targeted states, predominantly, um, predominantly white, again, but they're starting to move. And again, I mean, health, their health is on the line, right? They're seeing people around them, friends, being compromised. They're seeing people around them die. So it is that female demographic. It's also that 65 and plus demographic that we're starting to see move as well.
0: Sarah, it's been a pleasure catching up with you. Thanks for taking the time to join us this morning. Uh, Much appreciated. Sarah Lenti, Republican strategist and executive director of the Lincoln Project. And for more on the key takeaways from the final presidential debate, you can check out all of our stories on cnbc.com. We're going to have a look at the markets.
3: I, come on. I thought it was me, so I've basically come okay. over as well to listen to what you have to say and see if right. there's anything I want to add to it. Uh, well, why, why don't you kick us off? Well, no, I just thought it was a fascinating session.
2: And I thought it was really
3: interesting, despite our obsession about stimulus and our obsession about presidential debates, rightly so. I thought it was back to basics. I thought we looked at the data. I thought we looked at the initial jobless claims. I thought we looked at the leading indicators. I thought we looked at the existing home sales and the fact that four out of five uh, of companies that have reported, of the quarter of the reported so far in the S&P 500, have beaten expectations. And the fact that the yield curve is looking very interesting and getting uh, a little bit of traction in terms of the expanding yields uh, on the bond market?
0: Uh, the 10-year is, is really interesting. Uh, the fact that we are back through 0.8, I think everybody should take note Have of that. Have we got that Treasury's Wall? It has I know some, it's, it's some jumping over a little bit from where well, we, we were. We've, but, got, uh, we've got the banks, so we can pop up the banks, but it's raising some interesting questions, yeah. I think, about... Uh, Back, oh, okay well that we'll go to the treasuries different Absolutely. from what the director's saying but here we are uh, the interesting point and this is what i want to sit uh, f- uh, single in on because the You're fact have to that touch we
3: to go straight through it
0: the fact that we are back uh, above 8 here uh, the 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 meaning of this should not be lost on anybody because it's raising a few flags amongst the analyst community and the I investment agree. banks around inflation and what the shape of this curve is going to look like going forward and obviously that has some impact on your implied returns from equity over bonds. So people are doing a little bit of a shift in their thinking. And I don't know whether you saw the Goldman's note where they effectively moved on their expectation around the gold price, which I think is a reflection of their view that inflation in the United States specifically is going to start becoming a more interesting issue for the market. So Goldman's, even though they've got their gold price for this year, down below $1,900, they're talking about something over $2,000 into next
3: year. Bless them, they're covering a couple of bases, yeah? <laughs> yeah. But no, what I thought was interesting, on, and, and again, I know the director's really pleased I'm here as well, so <laughs> that's moved up from 0.73% to 085 oh. Now, that's minuscule in terms of the absolute yield, but in terms of a percentage yield mm. increase of what you actually get for your money for investing in the 10-year, that is a massive rally from 073 to 085 as well. And it's the same story on the 30 year as well, which has moved up uh, quite dramatically as well from 1.53 to 1.67. So I know we're talking decimals here, but in the brave new world, as a percentage of your total return from holding, it has gone up dramatically.
0: Uh, Shall we have a look at the banks so then? The director's saying, I can ask for anything at this point. How about, can I have a cafe latte <laughs> you know and
3: a piece of chocolate cake? Can that I tell you get something, really the director nice didn't get a good night's sleep last night. He was in he before not?
0: you and I in the garage. Was he up painting his uh, children's no, bedrooms No, he was again? up watching the debate, would was you believe? Was he? Was he really? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, so, um, you know, the economic data, of course, always a slightly better tone to the data is going to resonate well with the banks. We've seen the uh, earnings for the banks for the quarter, and actually, some of them, particularly those that have benefited from the additional movement and volatility in the markets, have done better here. But as you can see, this was just a moment, I think, yesterday. You talked about some of the trends in the markets and the data where people went, yeah, you know what, I'll have a bit of the banks. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. If
3: only we had a top CEO to speak to in the banking sector coming up at the top of the next hour.
0: Do we have a top CEO? To- we certainly
3: do. We have <laughs> Jess Staley, the CEO of Barclays coming up at the top of the next hour.
0: Which, uh, despite the pressure from some activists, he has kept himself and that bank very much in the market. So um, let's have a look at the dollar then. Should we have a look? The uh, dollar, of course, is uh, going to be very important as we roll forward here. One thirty.
3: I know. <laughs> we're just <laughs> apparently we're closer to another deal. Not only stimulus in Washington, yes. but also uh, Burley-Mort and Westminster. <laughs> they're working to working all weekend. We're told. Yeah, this one. Um,
0: I will just focus on this one. You could pick one out if you like, but I, I think just the, did. the dollar yuan is particularly interesting at the moment because of the attempts by the PBOC perhaps to. You know, put a little bit of a banana skin under the yuan, which is only gradually strengthened through the year here. And obviously that raises some implications about how the Chinese are thinking about their exporting industry. It was interesting on a day where the data was a little yeah. bit better here that the dollar has made a little bit of pushback against the yuan.
3: We need another CEO to shed light upon what's going on in the corporate world in terms of whether there are certain industries which are weathering the storm as well. Luckily, after a very short break, we're going to get numbers and speak to the CEO of Signify, Eric Rondelet, is waiting for us, first on CNBC. Eric, if you're listening, we'll be there in a minute. Right, let's get to an old friend of ours eric rondelette is the ceo of signify and eric the shares in advance of these numbers are up 25 percent year to date which is no mean performance as well uh, i'm looking at the free cash flow increase i'm looking at your profits i'm looking at your sales are you a happy man today eric
6: well i'm a happy man today uh, steve good morning to you uh, you know q3 was a quarter of major shifts Uh, in uh, consumer and technology mixes. Uh, For us, we've seen a much stronger performance of our consumer businesses and also of our connected offers. So we're reporting an improvement Uh, On the operating margin of 50 basis points, despite uh, the market headwinds. And uh, as you've mentioned, you know, the cash of 212 million uh, is basically uh, 12% plus of sales, you know, which is also a strong performance. There are other reasons, you know, to be also uh, happy uh, in Q3. Uh, We've been able to uh, reduce our debt by 350 million, which is a commitment that we had taken uh, before. Uh, the crisis. The three acquisitions that we did in 2019 have uh, very positively contributed to the performance uh, in Q3. And last but not least, but you were with us when we did that, uh, we announced the carbon neutrality of Signify uh, in uh, in September. So, uh, an environment which is extremely volatile, um, complex, but um, uh, we've shown a good level of resilience in Q3.
3: I, I understand that, and, and you know what? We've gone through your numbers many times, and we've poured over various parts of it. If I was you, I'm not you because I'm just a mere presenter. But I, I think the margin thing is very interesting and very important as well, because we've—I've said for years—you can sell anything in this world, but can you sell it profitably? So I'm interested in your EBIT margin increase uh, and your adjusted EBIT margin increase of the growing profits engine by 130 basis points as well. That is moving in the right direction. How far are you from where you need that to be, Eric?
6: Well, you need to understand that the context of the crisis, Stephen, is very particular. So very early uh, in the year, uh, we said a few things. First of all, we had to increase gross margin and we put actions to do so at the very beginning of the year, uh, reducing cost in order to be able to expand on the operating margin. When you're facing a crisis of that dimension, you absolutely need to act very quickly on these very simple dimensions. Uh, Another one was... Uh, making sure that we were looking at receivables and that we were being paid, so being close to our customers so that they could pay us. And we done that quite quite well, you know, because we have an improvement of our receivables uh, during the year. And last but not least, the human capital. It's fundamental in a crisis of that nature to make sure that you protect your human capital. So, But the increase that you see today and, and this year in terms of operating margin, is something that we have done you know, over the years. You, you, we went from uh, 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 mid-single-digit uh, to double-digit. Uh, I don't think that's the end of it, but we had to show resilience during the crisis, which is what we've done.
0: Eric, um, good morning. Um, just a, a little bit more on the integration of Cooper Lighting, I think, would be interesting for the audience here because obviously it plays a significant role in the uptick in sales. How is it proceeding? What more can you get from it?
6: Uh, morning, Jeff. Look, we um, it, it, it has been a very interesting situation because when you do a big acquisition uh, just before a crisis, uh, it's always a, you know um, a defining moment. But basically, uh, we turned it into an opportunity. Uh, we sped up on the synergies that we had, especially on the back office, in order to generate them faster. And if you look at um, the integration of Cooper Lighting, we had basically three items in terms of synergies. One of them, uh, which is the sourcing uh, of drivers, is complete. Already, uh, we are much more ahead of track when it comes to procurement, and we are on track when it is about footprints. So, if you look at uh, you know the 60 million that we had forecast uh, to achieve in terms of synergy over the three years, at the end of the first year, we are going to be much more advanced than what we had in the in the business plan. So, if you look at uh, Cooper lighting today, it's going to generate in absolute value in terms of cash and in terms of profit, what was in the business plan, although we're not achieving the sales because of the headwinds caused by the uh, COVID-19 crisis. So uh, uh, very satisfied on uh, on the integration of Cooper Lighting so far, which is contributing very positively to our business on the biggest market, which is the, the US market.
0: And Eric, before we let you go, we, we should ask you specifically about the GUV disinfecting lighting. To what extent is that a major contributor at the moment? And is there a risk that perhaps the gains wash out in the next 12 to 18 months if COVID starts to disappear?
6: So, first of all, I I told you that we were uh, increasing our production capacity of the light sources, which is effective. You know, we're going to have an eight times capacity at the beginning of 2021 compared to what we had at the beginning of 2020. At this point in time, we are on allocation, meaning that we cannot serve all the orders that we have, despite the increase uh, in the production capacity. We are also launching on the market. You know, for the consumer, for the homes uh, in Asia and Middle East, a a UV disinfection desk lamp equipped with sensors, also voice guided in order to make sure that uh, it shuts down if there is any presence uh, in the room. On the the other hand, you know, we're also selling uh, to our professional customers. I have the example of the football club of Leipzig, where basically we're equipping with upper air disinfection, um, the commercial areas, but also the locker rooms. So as you can see, there is a clear traction at this point in time. Now, we're making the bet that after the the COVID crisis, we would want to live in environments that are clean. So UVC is... Uh, basically helping uh, the environment, surfaces and objects to be free of viruses and bacteria. And uh, we believe that there will be sequels right, uh, after that crisis and that we will still be able to sell that technology.
0: Thank you for
3: listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
2: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show
0: Weekdays on CNBC.